thing about songs like that, <clears throat> that refrain at the end, you're never going to let me down, never going to let me down. How do we sing that in times where we're going through something painful? Well, if God's never going to let me down, why am I going through this? If God's never going to let me down, why is this the state of the world? And we, there's all sorts of hymns and worship songs that are like that where there's parts of what we're singing and it's almost like we just sing the words and we don't even think about the fact that well, if God's never going to let me down, why is this happening in my life right now? The point of it isn't that we're going, when we become a Christian, when we follow Christ, everything is beautiful, smooth sailing from here on out. And I think that's what the Jewish nation missed when Jesus came. They were accept, expecting this Messiah figure who was going to come and raise them out of the oppression that they were in in that exact moment of time. And Jesus didn't. In fact, after Jesus left, 30 years after he died, their entire identity was destroyed when the temple was, was burned to the ground by Rome. So if anything, Jesus came as the Messiah, and, and now the Jewish nation, who expected the Messiah to free them, who was going to, to uplift them, the opposite happened. So how can we sing, you're never going to let me down, when you know, we become a Christian and, and life here on earth doesn't seem to change all that much. Well, that's what we're looking at this morning. That's what we're looking at, how Jesus' statement that I am the light of the world is also a statement that fulfills what it means for him to be the Messiah and how it contradicts or is beyond what the Jewish nation expected him to be. Um, let's, let's open up with a word of prayer first, and, and then we'll dive right on into it. Father God, this morning as we study your word, move in our hearts, move in the message, let your voice become clear, let your spirit guide us as we study and impact wisdom upon us so that we can more clearly connect with you and identify you and, and come to know you in a more intimate and profound way. God, use the words of this message this morning to it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I, I don't know how many of you all struggle with this, but my entire life, um, there, there's always this feeling, one of the feelings that I hate most is the feeling that, you know, someone's talking about something, whether it's you or just something else, and you can't know what it is, you know, where, where it's like you, you can see them over there talking about something, and, and you walk up, and the conversation changes. Uh, it's, like, it's like, okay, either you're talking about me or you're throwing me a surprise party, and I don't like either of those things. I want to know what's going on. Like, I don't like being in, left in the dark about stuff. You know? I, I think there's a lot of us that have that feeling. And, and I heard this adage once, and I can't remember where it came from, but it, it, it goes, when you're young, you think everybody is always talking about you. And when you get a little bit older, that everyone's concerned with what you're doing. Even older than that, you realize no one ever really cared. And <laughs> it's, just, it's just the older you get, the, the more you realize it's not the case. You're okay with being left in the dark. And I say that, but then the illustration, of, I, I, um, I had a great-grandmother who could not hear a sound. She was deaf as could be. But she always loved being at family gatherings and, and being around her, her 
children and, and her family, because um, that was kind of where she learned what was going on in, in society. And so she'd always be there, but she couldn't hear anything. She'd have her ear up, and, and she'd be trying to listen to everything that goes on, and she would just hear a name of someone, but then she wouldn't hear what followed the name, and then the conversation would continue on, and she'd go, who died? Because <laughs> she couldn't hear. She didn't want to be left in the dark, but she also capabilities of knowing what was actually going on. Even further, there's this, act, there's this acronym now that has taken root in, in society, specifically within people my age, called FOMO, which just stands for fear of missing out, where you, you are afraid of leaving a gathering earlier. You're afraid of, of not being at something because you don't want to miss out on what happens. And, and my fear is fear of not getting adequate sleep, so like, I, don't, I would rather <laughs> just go home. But it's a common fear that's, that's actually, like, actually taken root in people my age. But it's rooted in the sense of we don't like being left in the dark. We, we, we don't like being left out of activities or conversations or, or just not knowing things. And, and this morning, we're going to see what it means for Jesus. He makes a statement that we all are very well acquainted with, that I am the light of the world. No, he lights up the darkness. So, so what does it mean that Jesus comes and lights up the world? What's, what's it mean that he takes us out of the darkness, takes us out of this, this bothersome place of not knowing? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And, and in order to look at that, last week we, we looked at the first I am statement of I am the bread of life. And, and we saw that in order to to learn that statement, to, to learn the fullness of what Jesus is saying there, we had to look back at the context. We had to see that it came right after he fed the 5,000. It, it came as he's showing him, he, he, he speaks about the manna that Moses had, and he's saying, I am the bread of life. I am God, because he uses I am. But he also says, I am the sustainer of eternity. I'm not here to bring bread that lasts for your life on earth. I'm here to be the sustainer of eternal life. And likewise, when we look at this next one, I am the light of the world, we have to look at what John is writing in his gospel as he comes in and brings this statement that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And to look at that, we, we have to turn to, um, to, to John 6, starting in verse 25. Jesus is, is, or no, sorry, John 7, starting in verse 25. I was wondering why my Bible is open there. Jesus is talking with people. He's gone around. Remember, we, we talked last week that in John's gospel, the first half of the gospel is kind of Jesus proving himself through his signs and miracles and healings and teachings. And then the second half is him leading up to the cross. And so he's gone through his ministry up until this point, and, and people are seeing, man, he's doing miraculous things. He's teaching in a profound way. He, he is he's doing things that unless the Spirit of God was upon him, he would not be able to do. So he has proved himself through his actions, and he just gave his I am statement, his first I am statement. And now people are starting to wonder, could this really be the Messiah? So, and that's where, in, in verse 25 of chapter 7, it says, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man that they're trying to kill? Because remember, the, the Pharisees are starting to get irate with Jesus because they're calling him a, a blasphemer. He's, he's taking attention away from He's, he's kind of teaching people to look at that, that, that he has come to fulfill the law, and the Pharisees are, without the law, they're irrelevant in their eyes, and so they're wanting to get rid of Jesus, and 
people say, isn't this the man that they're trying to kill? Yet, look, he's speaking publicly, and they're saying nothing to him. Can it be true that the authorities know that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he is from. And as he was teaching in the temple, Jesus cried out, You know me, and you know where I, was, I am from, yet I have come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. Then they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. However, many from the crowd believed in him and said, When the Messiah comes, he won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? And the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things about him, and so the chief priests and Pharisees sent serv- servants to arrest him. And so there's this growing trend now that people are starting to say, you know, maybe this guy is the Messiah. You know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the Messiah isn't exactly what we thought, but, but this guy clearly has the Spirit of God on him, so maybe he is truly the Messiah. And they're starting to talk about this thing, and they're debating on this thing, and, and then this debate, we see that it goes two ways. They're not just going all out and saying that this is the Messiah, but there's some people that are saying, well, he, he might not be the Messiah. In verse 40, it says, when some people from the crowd heard these words, they said, truly, he is a prophet. Others says, this is the Messiah. But some said, surely the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? Doesn't scripture say the Messiah comes from David's offspring, from the town of Bethlehem, where David lived? So the crowd was divided because of him. Some, some of them wanted to seize him, but others, but no one laid hands on him. And this, this is the point that we kind of miss because we have Luke's gospel. We know as 21st century readers that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Luke went and got eyewitnesses accounts of that. But at this point, place yourself in the people that are witnessing Jesus. All they know is this guy is called Jesus of Nazareth. He is a rabbi from this podunk place in Nazareth. Josephus records all of the different provinces in the ancient world. And in the province of Galilee, there's 63 cities. Nazareth is one of those cities, but he doesn't even mention it in his recording because it was the middle of nowhere. Okay? It's like Levels, West Virginia, where I'm from. That's, that's, that, uh, Carol talked to someone the other day from West Virginia, and she said, our preacher's from Levels. And he said, I have no idea where that is. I've never heard of that before. That, that's Nazareth in Jesus' time. No one, you know, people knew Nazareth, but the saying was nothing good can come from Nazareth. And let alone in, in Galilee, as a whole, is the same way. Why would a prophet, why would any man come from Galilee to speak the word of God, let alone be the Messiah? And so there's this people are seeing everything that Jesus is doing. They're witnessing his teachings, his signs, his miracles, but then they're also saying, well, this can't be the Messiah. He doesn't fit our picture of what the Messiah is supposed to be. He doesn't fit the mold of what the Messiah is, and they, they mention here in verse 40, they said, some say that truly this is the prophet, and others say that this is the Messiah. Now, the prophet and the Messiah are sometimes referred to in two separate ways, but they're also the same person. In Deuteronomy 18, it's 18, 18, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he'll tell them everything I commanded him. This is Moses speaking through God, and it's a prophecy that eventually someone will come that will fulfill Moses' position of intermediary between Israel and God, and he would have the Spirit of God upon him and be a prophet. 
And then they also say, well, maybe this is the Messiah. So, so some are saying, well, maybe this is the prophet that Moses spoke of. And others say, well, no, maybe this is the Messiah that Isaiah spoke of. Isaiah 42, verse 1, this is my servant. I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I've put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. So these two trends of people are, are saying, well, okay, Maybe he's the prophet that Moses spoke of. Maybe he's just got the Spirit of God upon him. He's going to teach us something profound about God that we didn't understand before. Others are saying, well, no, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe this is the guy Isaiah spoke about that was going to come and, and conquer the nations that were oppressing us, bring justice, bring these people that, that are just tearing us apart to justice. And then others are saying, well, no, maybe, he, he can't be either of them because he's not from Bethlehem. You know, he, he's not eloquent. He, he's, he's from Nazareth. He doesn't look special. And so there's this tension on who really is Jesus. And the reason the tension was there is because even though Jesus was the Messiah, even though he was the prophet, even though he is the Son of God, he came different than what everyone expected him to be. He came in a way that was different. And so this tension is going on right now and, and, and that is taking place in Jesus' ministry where people have witnessed, okay, this, is, this guy's great. This guy has a spirit upon him. This, there's something special. But what is he? Who is he? And, and that's where we're at right now. We're at this point where some are saying he's the Messiah. Some are saying he's the, the prophet that Moses predicted. Some are saying he's just some random crazy guy. And then Jesus, in John 8, 12, after all of these discussions have gone on, he says this to them. Jesus spoke again to them, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So in, in the previous one where he says, I am the bread of life, Jesus is, uses bread and, and connects this to this conversation on manna and to the feeding of the 5,000 that happened the day before. And he says, I'm the sustainer of life. I'm the sustainer of eternal life. And now there's this conversation of who is Messiah. What is the Messiah supposed to be? And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Well, how, how does that work? Because if he's the prophet, he is the revelation of God's light. He's coming to show everyone what God's light is. If he's the Messiah in Jewish interpretation, he's not the light of the world. He's the, he's the justice of the world. He's coming to reign with an iron fist. He's coming to, to rid Israel of their oppressors. So how can he be the light of the world? How can he be the I am? And that's the kicker here, is that Jesus doesn't only say that he's the light of the world. He says, I am. And remember, the first message we did on this series is that is a very, very important statement. That is a statement that no Jew would, is allowed to make. You can't say, ego a me. You can't say, that, I am, I am, because that is blasphemy. And yet Jesus is here saying, I am, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I am God. I am the mediator of God and, and humanity. I am the Messiah. And I am here to bring light to the darkened world. And I, I read this, 
from our lens, and we all, you know, as, as we read this now, 21st century, 2,000 years after the fact, okay, yeah, Jesus is the light of the world. We know that's the case. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Jesus is God. But the, the Jewish nation, this would have contradicted everything they believed. And yet, it fulfills it. Listen, Isaiah 42.1 was, I'm bringing justice to the nations. Isaiah 42.6, I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. So, Jesus came in a way they didn't expect. Jesus was different than what they thought the Messiah would be. And yet he still fulfilled everything that was spoken about him. And the reason that they didn't see it was because their lenses, their glasses were dipped in what they wanted to see. They wanted to see someone that rid them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was brutal to the Jewish nation because the Jewish nation was the only nation that didn't fully assimilate, that, that still worshipped one God, that, that constantly had revolts and uprisings against the Romans. Everyone else, the Roman nation was a machine that plowed through the ancient world and everyone just laid on their back and, and went belly up, but the Jews didn't. And, and because of that, Romans were hard on the Jews. And, and the Jews just wanted this Messiah to come and get rid of Rome. And yet, here Jesus is saying, I'm a light for the world. I'm not here to just overthrow Rome. You all are being short-sighted. I'm here to overthrow the oppression of darkness. I'm here to overthrow the oppression of, that sin has placed over the entire world. I'm not here to get rid of your earthly oppressors. I'm not here to get rid of Rome that will all happen on its own throughout the unfolding of history. I'm here to get rid of the spiritual oppression of sin, of the spiritual consequence of death. You all are just being short-sighted, but I am the light of the world, and if you know me, if you follow me, you will have the light of life. Now, Okay, that fulfills Isaiah, but that completely would have blown the minds of everyone else there. Jesus is more than the Messiah. The Messiah is more than just someone that overthrows the oppressors of the world. He's here to overthrow the oppression of sin. And you know, a lot of times we preach on, on this. Um, we preach on or we read, I am the light of the world, and, and we shut our Bibles there for the day. And we say, oh, that's, that's a great, great piece. But then verses 13 through 19 are kind of a little difficult to understand. What, what does this have to do with being the light of the world? It's talking about testimony. It's talking about eyewitnesses. It's, it's talking, you know, we kind of, there's a lot of pieces in Scripture where we find something that is easy to connect to, and we leave it at that, and, and we really read that, and we know that. But then there's these other parts that we kind of, well, that takes a little bit of study. I don't want to dive into that. But this next part really ties into Jesus' statement of being the light of the world. It says in verse 13, The Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Well, even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my, my testimony is true. Because I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. 
And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Now, this, this passage comes from Deuteronomy as well, Deuteronomy 17, which is talking about if someone gets accused of idolatry, of worshiping idols, of, of practicing the religion of other nations, then they're to be brought before a judge. And so the law of Moses talks about what is to happen here. And in Deuteronomy 17, it says, the one condemned to die is to be executed on the testimony of two or three witnesses. No one is to be executed on the testimony of a single witness. The witness's hands are to be are to be the first in putting him to death. And after that, the hands of all the people, you must purge the evil from you. Now, here's how that ties in here. <laughs> These Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, were so blind to who Jesus was, is that they were saying, they were equating him to being the evil that needs to be purged. They're, they're saying, your testimony is tr not true. Our law requires that you have two or, two or more people for testimony. And, and Jesus is saying, yeah, you, you do. You, you do need two or more people. That's, that's, that's what the law tells the judge is supposed to have. And I have it. My testimony and the Father's testimony. I know who I am. I know that I am the light of the world. I know that what I say is true, but you are too blinded to see that for yourselves. Jesus' testimony went beyond the law. Not because Jesus abandoned or, or abolished the law, but because he fulfilled the law in a way that our limited capabilities couldn't fully understand. And the Pharisees saw Jesus for what they wanted to see in accordance to what they wanted the law to be. And yet Jesus is saying, I, I'm fulfilling the law. My testimony is true. Here's my testimony. Here's the Father's testimony. What I am saying is true. You just want to see what you want to see. And because you're unable to know the Father, you can't know what is going on here. And this also connects to something that Jesus talked to the Pharisees about in, a, in an earlier part. In John chapter 5, it says, Jesus is talking about having a testimony. He says, but I have a greater testimony than John, John the Baptist, because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These are the very works I'm doing to testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You haven't heard his voice at any time. You haven't seen his form. You don't know his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you're, un but you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Now that is a slap in the face to the Pharisees. Jesus, in, in earlier in chapter 5, is saying you pour over these scriptures. You read the law day and night prophets all the time and these scriptures write about me but here I am standing right in front of you and you can't see me for more than what you want me to be I am telling you who I am I am telling you what I came to do and you are unwilling to listen because you already have your mindset on what I am here to do and then in verse 19 they say where is your father 
As if to, <laughs> they're just so oblivious to what Jesus is saying. It says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. And that's kind of the icing on top of the cake of being slapped constantly. Jesus is saying, you pour over the scriptures. You want to know God. You call the law to be God. And yet, you don't know God. Because you're refusing to see me as the light of the world. You're refusing to see me as the Messiah, as God incarnate. And this is where, you know, we have to be careful ourselves. Especially in, in the world today, I've talked about this tendency to make this growing tendency in, in culture and education for truth to be what is called subjective, meaning that truth is whatever I want truth to be. It's whatever I think it should be. It's whatever my experience tells me it is. And for the Pharisees, they're saying the truth is the way we see it to be. It's the way that we were raised up and told it is. It's, it's the way that, that we want the law to speak to us. And they knew the law. They knew the scriptures. But here Jesus is, God incarnate, telling them, listen, I know you can see the law, but I fulfill the law. I am Jesus. I'm standing right in front of you. I am God. And they were unwilling to relinquish their control and acknowledge him. They wanted him to overthrow Rome. They wanted him to be this great prophet. But he's saying, I'm more than that. You want me to overthrow Roman oppressors? I'm here to overthrow spiritual darkness. You want me to teach you about, about, about God? I am God. But they only wanted Jesus to be what they wanted him to be. They wanted their, their own version of religion. And how often do we take Jesus and put him in our pocket and say, this is what I want Jesus to be today. This is what I want Jesus for me today. Jesus came to reveal God. He came to overthrow sin and death and give us an eternal life. But how often do we want him to do something else? So how does this all tie in? Jesus concludes this section with saying, you don't know me, so you don't know the Father. And he ties that into a statement on, I am the light of the world. How, how do we apply that? There, there's an, an illustration that I read about this kid who was constantly getting bullied at school. And he just, this bully just kept beating him up every single day. And, and he was getting tired of it. And he, his friends told him, well, why don't you just try going a different route home to try to escape him? And so he tried a different route home. And then the bully found out and went and beat him up there too. And, and his friends said, well, why don't you get a stick? So that way when he comes next, you use the stick to defend yourself. And said, okay. And he had the stick. And then the bully just took the stick and beat him even harder with the stick. And finally, he just couldn't take it anymore. And he was going home one day, and he was terrified of what might happen when all of a sudden this, this bully just came out from nowhere and, and was about to pummel him again. And the kid looked at him and said, okay, come on now, let's go. I'm ready, let's go. And, and the bully was taken aback. He's like, what in the world is this guy doing? And, and the, the little kid just kept egging him on, egging him on. Come on, I'm ready, I'm ready, come at me. And the bully came at him, and then all of a sudden the, the boy's 
six foot ten, two hundred and seventy five pound father comes and stands behind the young kid, and the bully just whimpered and backed up and, and ran away. That's what it, it means here with what Jesus is saying. Saying, you don't know the Father because you don't know me. You, you see what you want to see in Scripture, but you don't know me, which means you don't know God. Which means until you know me, the darkness is not going to whimper and run away. All you're going to do is hand the darkness the stick to beat you with. All you're going to do is, is bring a knife to a gunfight. Until you know the Father, until you know me, and I reveal the Father, you're still stuck. Jesus is the light that casts out the darkness. Jesus is the light that brings us eternal life. And to make him anything more lessens him. What more would we want Jesus to do? He gives us eternity. He gives us life. He overthrows the oppression of darkness and brings us into the presence of God the Father because his spirit is within us. That's the gospel message. The Pharisees couldn't see it, and oftentimes we lose sight of it ourselves. Jesus is God. Jesus is the way that we know God more deeply. So he's the prophet, but he, he, he fulfills the, being the prophet in a way we couldn't understand. He's the Messiah because he overthrows the oppression of darkness. And he brings us into eternal life. That's the message of the second I am statement from Jesus. And I hope and pray that every single one of us allow him to light up the darkness that we face, to light up the darkness that we're supposed to inherit for eternity. Because the only way we don't inherit that darkness is if we say for him to light it up and overthrow the oppression of Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, I, I, we, can't, we can't know who you are without your son. I, I just, I, I can't understand know what it must have been like to, to live in the Israelite nation having your son there, having Christ, without having Christ be the one that lights up the darkness. And so for that, I am so thankful that we as your church have that, that we know you, we have this opportunity to know you more deeply because of the light that has come into the world. God, give us a desire to constantly connect with that light, to connect with the light so that we know that you're the Father that's standing behind us at all times, casting out the darkness that is trying to oppress us. God, we love you, and we're so thankful for the way you have revealed yourself to us and provided us an eternity in your presence. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Now on the um, bulletins, it says that we're going to close with a song called Christ Be Magnified, but I, I wanted to change that. We're going to close with this worship song, Light of the World. Kind of hit it on the nose a little bit. And let's just proclaim it. You're the light of the darkness, or the light of the world that abandoned and, and died for our sake. Let's stand up and let's close in this worship together.